there are people today, and I think there are many people today, who read this episode, this passage, and see how Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin to be tried, not because of some terrible things that he had done, but over a point of doctrine. And they'll think that this whole episode is absolutely ridiculous. And they might say, so let me get this straight. You had disagreements about your theology and your religious practices, and that's worth fighting over. Why? Because in many people's minds that this episode proves to them what they had always known about religion, that religion is violent, it's intolerant. I mean, clearly, the Jews, over their religious differences, dragged the man to death. And Stephen, did, did he have to be so stubborn? Over theology, really? Doctrine? Over religion? That you couldn't back down, you couldn't compromise? That you had to insist that you were right and everybody else is wrong? That you had to lose your life over it? Really? And this is exactly the kind of thing that uh, proves to some people that, that nothing good ever comes out of religion. And they say, you know, I don't need this. I will forge my own path to God as I see fit. And then they might say to you, you know, you do you. <laughs> but if you're really, truly enlightened as I am, then you will do as I do and you will follow your own Well, let me tell you this morning, uh, you and I, we have to follow God's ways. We have to follow God's way. And the first thing that this passage tells us is that Jesus Christ is God's way. Now, you remember all the way back in chapter 6 how some of the Jews brought false accusations against Stephen. They said that we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. This man never ceases to speak uh, uh, evil words against this holy place and the law. And so starting with chapter 7, Stephen began to defend himself. And he started with Abraham. He started with Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs. And it demonstrated from scriptures how at the very beginning of their nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs, long before Moses, long before the temple, they all hoped in Christ. And then Stephen uh, continued with the story of Moses. And as Stephen expounded the scriptures, we saw how Moses was himself commissioned by Christ into his service. And Moses served none other than Christ during his life. And now Stephen brings us to consider the topic of the temple because he was accused of unforgivable offense against the temple. And Stephen focuses on two aspects of God's dwelling place to lay out before the Jews the true path to God. And the first thing that Stephen tells us about God's dwelling place is that the tabernacle was a copy. The tabernacle was a copy. 
So Stephen says, "Our fathers had a tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen." Now Stephen is quoting and referring to Exodus chapter twenty-six. Verse 30. This is where God brought Israel out of Egypt, and Moses receives this instruction from the Lord concerning the building of the tabernacle. And tabernacle, of course, housed the most holy things, where the Lord met with His people upon the throne of mercy. But the construction of the meeting place and all the furnishings inside. Were not left up to the imagination and the creativity of Moses or other people, because this is what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter twenty-six. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. In other words, the Mo-、uh, Moses was commanded by the Lord, build exactly as you were shown. Do it exactly. Do not deviate. Make everything according to the plans that were shown to you. And the importance of this、uh, is really unpacked in Hebrews chapter eight. And this is where we read the author of Hebrews is saying,、uh, comparing the priesthood of the Old Testament against the priesthood of Jesus. He says, "We have such a high priest." One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. They, the the earthly priests that descended from Aaron, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent. He was instructed by God, saying, "See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown on the mountain." But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent. And the point is this: when God brought Israel out of Egypt and instructed Moses to build a place where the Holy God. Would meet with sinners and forgive their sinners. It was not left up to Moses to invent to, and to be creative as to how he should approach God. God instructed Moses from the biggest architectural uh, 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 plan to the smallest details of the furnishings. This is exactly how you must approach God because the earthly tabernacle. Was patterned after Jesus's high priestly ministry in heaven. In other words, every detail of the meeting place, the dwelling place of the Lord on earth, was meant to be a reflection and a shadow of the true priest, the great high priest Jesus, and his heavenly ministry in heaven. And that is why the tabernacle was never supposed to be、uh, the focal point of Israel's faith. The tabernacle was supposed to lead the faith of Israel beyond itself to the reality 
of which it is the shadow. The tabernacle was supposed to direct their hearts and their faith to the true ministry of mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And that is what Stephen is saying. You see, it was the Jews, actually, who were treating the tabernacle with contempt, not recognizing its critical importance, the honor that God bestowed upon the tabernacle to direct our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle was the servant of the great king of heaven, but the Jews could not consider that, would not believe it. And it wasn't Stephen, but it was the Jews that treated it with contempt. And the second thing that Stephen tells us about God's dwelling place is that God cannot be contained. God cannot be contained. Because as you know, in time, that mobile tabernacle in the wilderness that accompanied God's people for 40 years and afterwards, that mobile meeting place was replaced with a permanent structure in Jerusalem. And it was David's desire to build a house for God. But as we all know, that honor of building a house for the Lord fell to David's son, Solomon. And yet Solomon, when he had built the temple, sparing no no expense, using the, the costliest materials, and when the temple was built, he himself realized the temple's limitations. So we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. You see, Solomon, using the remarkable and the singular wisdom that God had given him, built a structure unlike any other on earth. And with the same wisdom and insight, he understood that this temple is not good enough. I have done my absolute best. I spared no expense, and yet this is not good enough because God, how can he be confined to a building? And indeed, Stephen here quotes from Isaiah chapter 66, where the prophet speaks for the Lord. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? You see, both the architect and the builder of the temple, Solomon, and the Lord's prophets understood that God cannot be contained inside the temple. But that's exactly what the Jews wanted to do. They, they wanted to confine God to Jerusalem because when you confine God to Jerusalem, you get to control who comes near him. You get to control how people come near him. But you see, God, God met with Abraham long before the temple stood in Jerusalem. God met with Abraham in Mesopotamia. And God, long before the temple was built, God was with Joseph in prison and in Egypt. And long before Moses ever erected the tabernacle, God met with Moses in the burning bush in the wilderness. And the place where Moses encountered the Lord, that was the holy place. 
And then the presence of the Lord led Joshua and Israel into Canaan. And do you see, God is not contained in Jerusalem. And if for a while God dwelt in Jerusalem, it was to demonstrate His grace that the Lord of the universe, the holy God, has drawn near a lowly people. But the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord. And what is the place of my rest? And so do you see why it was so misguided and wrong-headed for the Jewish people to put their confidence and hope in that place as if all that God is was contained and exhausted by the temple. Because you see, the Lord who asked, what is the place of my rest, is the same Lord who descended upon his Son. You remember Matthew chapter 3, how when Jesus was baptized, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. No earthly temple could not contain God, but in the body and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God came to rest. God was fully present in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus the true son of David that built God a true temple. That is God's way. The tabernacle was a copy pointing to Jesus and God cannot be contained in a building but God came and he was fully present in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's way. Secondly, we see Jesus Christ rejected. Let me tell you that serving Jesus faithfully means sometimes saying the things that enrage people. Now, to be sure, it must never be because we are being obnoxious. It must never be because we're trying to get a rise out of people. But two kingdoms that are at war, to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ faithfully, we will have to at times say the things that confront the deepest held convictions and treasures of people who have turned their backs on God, who consider themselves wise, and who consider the cross of Jesus Christ as foolishness. And when we talk with faithfulness to such people, sometimes it is going to enrage them. And that is what we see here. Stephen continues, after having borne witness to the scriptures that spoke so powerfully, so faithfully of Christ, and seeing how hardened they were in their hearts, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You see, the Holy Spirit always and only ever promoted Christ. 
And we need to understand that Jesus did not invent a new way to God, and he did not invent a new religion when he said in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wasn't inventing anything new. That's not the beginning of a new religion because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit always and only ever bore witness to Christ. That was the message of the fathers. That was the message of Moses. It was the message of the temple and the prophets. But the Jews... Now, by the way, I need to say this again because there's such an opportunity for uh, misunderstanding. When scripture and preachers point out the failings of the Jews, we should never take it as a, a, a reflection of some kind of anti-Semitism. Uh, the Jews were the best of mankind by God's calling and by God's gift and by preparation of ministry. And so the point is, if those people who are so called and gifted and treasured and trained could turn away from God like this, how much worse is the case for you and me? So understand, when I criticize the Jews, I criticize them as the best of mankind, and we are included, all of us, in that criticism. And you see, however, when you look at the, the history of the Old Testament, it's a history of stubbornly resisting the Holy Spirit's witness at every turn. And so Stephen says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You see, they resisted the Holy Spirit. God showed them the way to life, and they refused it. God instructed them, but they were not teachable. You know, I think we see the same mindset today. And I'm particularly uh, thinking about people who say, you know, I am spiritual, but not religious. I'll find my own way to God, thank you very much. I'll decide who Jesus is. He can cheer me because the purpose of Jesus is to make me feel good about the choices that I have made. But he will not be my Lord who commands my obedience. He will not be the righteous one before whom my sins are laid bare. That's what people mean when they say I'm spiritual but not religious. I'll chart my own path. I don't need anyone, including the Lord Jesus, telling me how to live my life. Jesus is useful as long as he makes me feel good about myself and the choices that I have made, but don't you dare. Don't you dare tell me that I'm wrong. Don't you dare tell me that I need to repent. That is resisting the Holy Spirit because God has instructed us his way and his path. And notice how the Jews and their leaders responded. They were 
enraged. And by the way, people never get upset over Jesus because he cared for the poor. Jesus wasn't crucified because he was kind to the lepers. He was crucified because he told people to repent, (laughs) that they were wrong. And these people, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at Stephen, and they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. It's a horrific scene. The word demonic comes to mind. And we need to understand this, loved ones, that God's word and the testimony of Jesus will not always receive a warm welcome. Be ready. Be prepared. And it's certainly not because we have meant ill to those that we speak with. But understand that people that do not love Jesus Christ will not love those that love Jesus Christ. And the Jews and their leaders, having betrayed and murdered the righteous one, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And I wonder, what price are you willing to pay to follow Jesus? Would you acknowledge Jesus only when it brings you praise, when it's culturally acceptable? You know, I heard, I read somewhere that it used to be that in this country that you could not, get a, you could not go to a bank and get a bank loan unless you belong to a church. Those days are long over where it was expected and culturally praised to confess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And increasingly, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ is no longer an asset, but it's a liability. And the question is, what price are you willing to pay to follow Jesus? Would you you acknowledge Jesus only when it brings you praise? Or would you follow him even when it costs you everything? And loved ones, let me tell you that that is God's way. And so thirdly and finally, Jesus Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy. And so the Jews, they seized Stephen with violence. They dragged him out to execute him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There are some discussions why Jesus was standing among scholars, because we read Jesus being seated at God's right hand. So why is he standing here? And it seems to me that the right connection to make is to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. You see, as as Stephen fell to the ground for his love of Jesus, 
Jesus rose up before his father and said, This is my faithful Stephen. I know him. I love him. And though men take his life away because of me, I will give him eternal life. I think that's what's happening here. Stephen was a faithful witness to his last breath. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, because actually that's, that's how Jesus died. Luke chapter 23 Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then in chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see how both in life and in death, Stephen was Jesus' disciple. And that faith and the love for Jesus transformed this seeming triumph of darkness. Notice how this passage ends. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That is a surprisingly peaceful and a gentle way of summing up this horrific, violent scene. He fell asleep. And it's exactly right, because the moment of his violent death was transformed by his faith in Jesus. Because he confessed Christ in his life, the horror of death was transformed. You see, on that day, the Jews were saying to Stephen, we hate you, die, kill him, good riddance. And in the horrific moment, the grace of God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ changed everything so that the very moment the Jews were saying to him, die, good riddance, it's as if the father tucked in his beloved child saying to him, Good night, my precious child. Sleep well. I'll see you in the morning. And Stephen fell asleep to rise again to a new morning of glory. Why is Jesus worth our everything? because he changes death into life. And you know, confessing Christ is not something that we do just in one extraordinary moment where we lay down our lives for the Lord. We confess Christ 
in everyday life in a thousand small ways. In every decision we make, we confess Christ. Every stranger that we meet, we confess Christ. And at our death, and this is the promise and the comfort of the gospel, at our death, no less than the death of Stephen, at our death, Jesus will say, that is my faithful friend. I know him. I love her. And I will give them eternal life. That's why Jesus is worth our everything. Because he changes our darkness into light. Because through him, our death changes into life. Jesus is our worth everything. Amen. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Stephen, who in his life and death bore witness to the grace and the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we too might be emboldened and encouraged by the Spirit of Christ, that we may confess Christ as long as we live, whether in extraordinary and significant events or seemingly ordinary and everyday experience. May we confess Christ faithfully and at last see our death transformed through life and light piercing through the darkness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.